This is The Guardian. A week ago, he had an office job. Today, a young Ukrainian, on why he came back to his country, picked up a gun and joined the fight for Kyiv. It's been a week since Vladimir Putin ordered the invasion of Ukraine. The Ukrainian defence against a much larger, much more powerful army has surprised the world and the Russians. But for all their heroism and spirit, the Ukrainians are facing really tough odds. Russia claims to have taken the city of Kherson in the south. It's been bombarding the cities of Mariupol and Kharkiv with missiles and artillery. There are fears the capital, Kyiv, could soon be completely encircled by Russian forces. Standing between Russian troops and that possibility is the regular Ukrainian army and the volunteers of Ukraine's territorial defence. People who, until last week, were just students, software engineers, doctors, civilians. Late yesterday, we managed to reach one of those people. How are you? Hello. Hello. I'm fine. Thank you. I'm fine, despite the whole situation in our country. Yeah, God, I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's a strange question to ask you. <laughs> he's 22. His name's Vladimir Ksenich. He's on the outskirts of Kyiv. The line was rough and it started raining as we talked. He told us he was just five or six kilometres from Russian battalions. He's building barricades practicing with his gun, learning the best way to throw a Molotov cocktail, and waiting. It was a little bit scary taking the gun first time, but now, after, after three or four days of doing that regularly, you just, you just understand that this part of your life, uh, you're not so emotional. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, the story of a Ukrainian volunteer preparing to defend his capital against the Russian onslaught that's coming. Vladimir, can you take me back about a week? How did this war start for you last Thursday? Last Thursday, it was a really strange day because my father woke me up something like 5 a.m., and he told that Russia started invasion into Ukraine. The bombs were exploding maybe something like two, three kilometers from my house. So oh they God. were deployed. It was really loud. So we took all our things. And I am near the Kiev in a country house, something like five or six kilometers from the Russian battalions. How is your mood right now? What is the feeling where you are for you and for the people around you? First day, many people, they were really depressed because we didn't know what's going to happen, how our army will do against the Russian army. But after two or three days, we understood that our army is really well prepared. We have many ammunition, we have many knowledges how to behave ourselves against all their bombs, all their troops, all their paratroopers. So now we have 
a really high moral level. Tell me about your life before this fighting. What were you doing as recently as last week? You know, what was your job? How would you pass your time? Now I have a job in Warsaw. I work as a data analyst. So I have no connected with war, with army or guns. In last week, the situation made me change myself in this way. Did you ever hesitate to come home, given the danger that was facing you back in Ukraine? It was a really important decision for me because coming back to Ukraine, I understood what could happen, to be honest. But it's my country, it's the place where my friends are, my family are. We have really hard situation last eight years, and I knew maybe for whole of these eight years that in case Kiev will be bombing, in case whole country will be in danger, I will do my best to protect it. So no wonder I'm here. And how was the journey home? What path did you take from Warsaw back to Kiev? To be honest, it was like the day before everything begins. So. I thought there that something will happen because we have 200,000 troops on our borders. I didn't know exactly that the war will start next day, but it was just a certain airplane a trip from Warsaw to Kiev. And everyone in Ukraine, they were prepared emotionally. They were depressed, a little bit confused about that, but they were prepared maybe two or three weeks before. But I don't know, it was just a case that I came back to Kiev just one day before everything started. And where you are now, you're close to Kiev. What is the situation? I can't tell you everything because it's kind of let Russian occupants to bomb our army. But in my side, there were many Russian forces. And even guys from Chechnya, from Kadyrov's battalion, they were here. But last four days, our army worked really well. They used many artillery. They bombed hundreds of uh, Russian tanks. So uh, they moved forward. So we are much safer now. And surely we hear bombs, artillery, sounds maybe once per 30 minutes. Me personally, I received Automat AK-47, maybe the most well-known gun in the whole world. It's maybe twice older than I am. But it still works, and we still use it to protect ourselves, still use it for patrolling our streets and prevents air troops to get behind our army. Had you ever used a gun before this week? Ukraine is a post-Soviet Union country, and in our school system, me personally, I had the special classes where we received knowledges how to clean guns how to shoot with the air guns. So I have basic, basic knowledge how it works, but I have never shoot with the real guns before. So it's really new emotions for myself because I know that protecting myself, I could kill another person, but I know that I will do everything to protect my country. And we are not protecting ourselves, we're protecting the whole world from Putin and from Russian army. That's what it feels like. It feels like you're not just protecting Ukraine, but the whole world. If Ukraine will be defeated, the next step for Russian army will be Europe. And we see now many officials in Russia who are telling that they understand in sanctions that Europe and the United States put on Russia, it's like a first step for war. So they are just telling officially that 
we are prepared for war with you. So the next step after Ukraine is Europe. And tell me about your role, Vladimir. What are you doing now every day to try to fight for your country? I am at my father. We are protecting our territory. It's like a territorial protection battalion. It consists of 100 persons. And we are patrolling our country house. We are trying to build barricades. We are trying to make the life of people who live in our countryside easier. We are trying to help people who can't just go to the shop because they have some problems with their health. We're trying to get them AIDS and medical support as much as we can. It's really hard in this situation, but I think we're trying to do our best. And Vladimir, can you take me through your day today? What did you do from this morning until now? Today in the morning, I was talking to my friend in the head of Ukrainian army, and they told me that yesterday we successfully destroyed two big Russian columns near Kiev. They told that they are very grateful for that. Today in the morning, I wrote a big letter that we want to publish tomorrow for each Ukrainian student to sign. It's a letter from Ukrainian students to Russian students with information that their country will be banned from all global organizations, all their diplomas, all their grants and financial aid from European Union and USA will disappear. And we ask them to publicly tell the government that war is not acceptable for them to go into streets and let whole globe know that the Russian students are against war. After writing this letter, I cleared my gun after yesterday's evening patrolling. And today, maybe a couple of hours ago, we finally built the final barricade from where we will throw the Molotov cocktails to the Technic. So we have many things to do here. You built barricades, and from those barricades, you're preparing to throw Molotov cocktails in case the Russian soldiers arrive. We have a special algorithm how to do that, so we just can't throw that to the tanks because tanks are prepared for Molotov cocktails. But the tactic is to throw to the last technique into the column because then the whole column won't be able to get back. And Vladimir, have you in your mind imagined what it would be like to actually see the Russian army and then to have to throw something like a Molotov cocktail at them? Is that something that you think you could do in the moment? I try not to think about that, but I'm sure that in case I need to do that, I will do that. Vladimir, the Russian military are stepping up their shelling of Ukrainian cities, including Kyiv. What are the nights like at the moment where you are? So sometimes we have a option to sleep at our houses where it's not so cold and where is, we have electricity and food to be prepared. But, for example, yesterday in the night we were sleeping in a forest with guns because we were waiting for Russian paratroops to flight and try to get behind our army. And when you're in that forest and you're waiting for the Russian paratroopers, what are you looking for? What do you think you will see or hear that might give you an indication that the Russians really are there? 
we are not well prepared. So we don't have something like special tools for understanding what's happening in darkness. So I think each Russian battalion is prepared much better for that because normal paratroopers division, they have at least one or two persons with the prepared tools in order to be possible to understand what's happening in darkness. We don't have one. So we're just trying to understand if there are any sounds like snow is cracking under their shoes. Maybe they will smoke a cigarette and we'll see the lights or we will see they speaking one to other and we will hear aviation flying above us because they need a plane to jump from. So we are looking for something like that. And what about you and your comrades? What position are you in? Are you hiding? Are you in some kind of formation? How are you trying to prepare yourself in case the Russians do come? We were divided into groups. In our group, it's five people. And we are hiding in a forest. We made a kind of barricades that is created by wood. In a forest, it's much easier to hide yourself. It's much colder there, but it's much easier to hide. And we are hiding ourselves behind these barricades and behind some trees. So we just laying down on ground or sitting on the ground or just staying behind the trees and just waiting. So it's really strange because you just need to stand the whole night hearing some guys will go to your side without any information. You don't know the real possibility or probability that Russian army will go this way, but you need to do that in order to let our regular army know that there are someone here. I'm thinking about that now, and I think that it's the situation with the highest probability to be killed because you just four or five of you in the forest without any protections, just with guns, just waiting for prepared guys who are trying to understand what's happening in this territory or trying to get behind our army. And the only thing we can do is maybe try to kill some of them and let our army know what's happening in this uh, region. It's really strange because sometimes I think we're doing really strange things because we don't know information. But from the other side, we're doing really important because in case something will try to destroy our army from from behind, we will let them know about that. Vladimir, when you're waiting at night in case the Russians come, what are you thinking about? How are you passing those hours? I, I insist not to smoke because it's light. I insist not to use mobile phones because it's also light. I insist not to talk to each other, but it's, it's much harder <laughs> because maybe when you're waiting in the forest for two hours, you need a kind of a bit of socializing. So it, it's normal when after waiting half an hour or two hours in a forest, you're trying to communicate to other persons sitting near you or maybe a couple of meters near you. But it's really hard to get rid of such a situation. We're trying not to produce many noises, try to produce as less light as we could, but it's not impossible 100%. So we increase the probability of being found 
uh, while talking, but we still talk in some time each to other. But most of the time we are trying or just listen as sit just silently, not talking to each other or just trying to sleep. Or, and but, but sleep really attentively because in case we hear something, we need to wake up very fast and take our guns with ourselves. Do you think that you'd be ready to kill someone if, if the situation arose? It's like it's like in nature, or you kill, or person on the opposite side will kill you. I'm on my country, my country. I'm on the right side, and I think I will do that. And when are you heading back out to the forest to do it again? Uh, not today. We are trying to change. So one day you're sleeping at home, one day you're going out to the forest. And what are some of the moments from this completely terrible past week that really shocked you and will stay with you? Uh, <laughs> I've never saw a technique driving through the streets. I will never uh, forget how to speak with guys who know that they could probably die defending their country in a couple of hours. I I will never forget that. But that's how I feel talking to you. Isn't that you? Don't don't you think that, that you're in that same kind of danger? In this case, it's much better not to think about the probability of being killed or the probability you, you should kill someone. But it's really important to understand that you are doing everything that, that you can and you're doing something that can protect your country. A couple of weeks ago, you were living in Warsaw. Your life was one thing. Now you're up all night patrolling. You're learning how to throw Molotov cocktails. Do you ever stop to think, how did your life completely change so quickly? Life changed really dramatically fast. And I thought about that a couple of times. And I feel that our lives will never be the same as it was before. Because many guys who was in the war, they know that there are some many post-war symptoms, like they can't sleep well while they're not hearing the bombs flying around. I really hope I won't have one, but I think I probably will. And I think after the war, I will move to Kiev because we will have a huge, enormous support from the whole world and we will rebuild our country. Coming up, what Europe could do to help Ukrainians fighting on the ground from someone who's actually there. Vladimir, what was your view of Russia and Russians before this conflict? Russia, it's really beautiful and nice country. I have many friends from there. But the problem is with the government and problem with the people who support this government. Because they are really under the Russian propaganda system. And I just can't talk to them on the themes like politics, Ukraine, nationalism and things like that. So I think that Russia will be very beautiful and good country without corruption, without invasion into other countries. 
but we need them now show that they have the wrong government, that they need to change it, and everything will be fine. Have you tried talking to any of your Russian friends about this war? I have many friends of mine in Crimea, and we speak sometimes now. They are supporting the coming back to Ukraine. They don't like what's happening after Russia told that Crimea is a part of their territory. So they're waiting for us to win. And they write to me every day. They ask what's really happening because they don't even know anything from their TV. There are surely some friends in Moscow and some Petersburg with whom I don't talk at all. They're 100% sure that it's like a war between Ukraine and Ukrainians and we are bombing ourselves. But the whole world knows that it's fake, that it is not true. And I think that they will understand it after the whole propaganda system will fall down. What about your president, Zelensky? What do you think of his performance so far? I didn't vote for him as a president, but now I'd rather vote for him if elections will be next week. Really? I didn't like President Zelensky because of many things like anti-corruption sphere reforms, but now I fully supported him. And I think that he shows that he is a really good leader. He has a really good team. And now I'm a very fan of everything he is doing in these hard war times. What about Vladimir Putin? Do you think you can understand why he's doing this? What his motivation is for attacking Ukraine? I think he wants just to be a part of history and he's doing everything to be a part of history. He will be the Stalin of 21st century. Our officials yesterday told that Kharkov is the second Stalingrad because of many bombings and many deaths of normal people. They are not troops. And so Russian propaganda works even on him. I think that he believes in his own lies. And because he believes in that, he can explain to himself that he's making the world better but he can't explain to the whole world. What do you think is the most important thing that Europe could do to help Ukraine right now? I'm not a politician or guy from army, but I think, as I understood, it's very really important to close sky above Ukraine, at least above Kiev, because Kiev is a really important city with all our government, all our decision-making center. So closing the sky above Kiev we let the citizen of our capital to sleep much better without signals that Russian missiles from Belarus territory are trying to fly to Kiev. So the best option for Europe is continuing putting sanctions on Russia, crashing Russian economy, crashing Russian financial system, crashing rubles, continuing supporting Ukraine with financial aid, we are really glad that the European Union tried to do first steps to let Ukraine enter the European Union. We are trying to become a part of the European Union since 2014. But just eight years later, when Russia is destroying the whole of our countries, sent missiles, troops and tanks to our territory, just now Europe starts to think that we need to make Ukraine a part of European Union. And Vladimir, just finally, the Russian army is much larger than Ukraine's. They have 
much more advanced weapons, much more powerful bombs. Do you believe that Ukraine can win this war? Ukraine will win this war because the thing is, the Russian government, they lies to their citizens, they lies to their army. The Russian corruption works on us because each stolen rubble is a rubble for Ukrainian army. If you saw on TV, on radio, on many videos in the internet, when we are capturing Russian soldiers, they don't know what to do. They don't know what are they doing here and why are they doing here. They are really afraid. There are not so many experienced warriors as we thought. So Russian army, many people in the world told that Russian army is the second army in the world after the United States. But after looking these old videos, all this information, how much technique were lost, destroyed, or just left by Russian soldiers, I'd rather tell that the Ukrainian army is the second army in the world. Our army is really qualified, and we think that we will win, we will win, and we will get rid of Russian occupation from the whole territory of Ukraine, even Crimea, Donetsk, and Lugansk. Vladimir, thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you so much for talking to me. That was Vladimir Kasenich, a 22-year-old member of Ukraine's territorial defence on the outskirts of the capital, Kyiv. Thanks so much to him for talking with us. For more on Ukraine, do subscribe and listen to our sister podcast, Politics Weekly UK, with host John Harris, which is out today and every Thursday. And if you enjoy listening to The Guardian's Jonathan Friedland talking US politics every Friday, you'll want to subscribe to his new podcast, as Johnny's show won't be available on Politics Weekly UK for much longer. It's called Politics Weekly America, and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. So get all the latest news from Washington and beyond. Search for Politics Weekly America and hit subscribe. That's Politics Weekly America every Friday. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Courtney Youssef. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producers are Phil Maynard and Mithley Rao. We're back tomorrow. This is The Guardian.